If you would be taking your Bibles and opening up to John chapter 20, Happy Easter. Good to see you all this morning. Glad you're with us this morning as we get to celebrate the fact that we serve a, a living Savior. Uh, we get to celebrate the fact that our Savior is not dead, but that He is alive. What a wonderful truth that we get to celebrate this morning. So uh, if you uh, would be turning to John chapter 20, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, that's fine. We'll have it on the screens as we walk through the, the verses here in a minute. Uh, as, we, as we get ready to, though, I, a couple of days ago we uh, had our Good Friday service, and in our Good Friday service we talked through uh, a, that, that chapter of John called chapter 19. I couldn't remember what we talked about on just two days ago. That's how bad old I'm getting, I guess. But John 19, and in John 19 there's a particular verse in there where as John is describing the fact that Jesus has been crucified, that as he's hanging on the tree and getting ready to die, as he dies and his disciples are watching him die, he, be, he says this uh, before he dies. He says, it is finished. He, he speaks these three words and he gives up his spirit and he dies. It is finished. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? Did he mean what my kids mean when they say they're finished? Go clean your room. And they come back in five minutes. I'm finished, Dad. Yeah, right. Going there, you know, there's stuff all over the floor. That's not what he meant. It, you know, or when they're eating dinner. I don't know if y'all's kids do this or not. Oh, I'm finished. I'm full. I can't eat another bite. And then like two seconds later, it's like, can I have some ice cream? I thought you were full. No. Oh, well, I was full of, you know, regular food. I need something sweet for my stomach now. Uh-huh, sure, yeah. Or maybe, you know, you may think about taxes this year you may think you're finished but they just start all over like you never get done right i mean they're always coming and so what did jesus mean when he said it is finished how was he meaning this that he what we're going to see as we get into the passage this morning is sometimes we can be in big trouble if we don't understand what someone means when they say it is finished uh it's no different when we come to the disciples here they heard jesus say it is finished before he died and was put in a borrowed tomb these are his last words to them he says it's finished. Put, your put yourself in their shoes this morning. Think about the disappointment they must have experienced that day as they watched Jesus die in front of them. I mean, we've experienced disappointment, but I don't think we've ever experienced disappointment like they had. I mean, think about these people. They had followed this man who claimed to be God for over three years. They had left their families, their homes, their jobs, everything to follow after him. There was no going back for the disciples of Jesus. There was no going back to the synagogues. They'd been kicked out of them. Anyone who claimed Jesus was the Christ had been kicked out of their places of worship. So they couldn't go back to church. Their families had disowned them because they believed in what they believed to be, what their families believed to be heresy. I mean, there's nothing left for them. They really, at this point in their life, as they watch Jesus die and hear them say it is finished, they believe they're finished. I mean, they watched Jesus die publicly for all eyes to see. They, they, I'm sure at this moment, as they watch Jesus die, believe that there is no hope, that they've wasted their lives. But see, guys, they didn't know what Jesus meant when he said it is finished. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been uh, taken away from the tomb. And so here in verse 1, we see that Jesus had died and they had placed him in a tomb. We we're also reminded of the fact that the, the Jewish people were afraid, or the Jewish leaders were afraid 
that Jesus' disciples would come and steal his body because he had said he was going to rise again. So they said, hey, we want you to put a big stone over the tomb where you lay his dead body, and we want you to put Roman soldiers outside of that tomb just so no one can steal his body. That's, that's what the Jewish leaders wanted, and so that's what they did. Well, Mary comes with, with spices for Jesus, uh, and as she comes, she looks in the tomb. Uh, the stone is rolled away. It's been moved. Look at verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John, the one who wrote this gospel. The one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Mary is telling the disciples here, she's telling Peter and John, that she thinks the Jewish leaders, or maybe the Romans, have moved Jesus' body. So the, the Jews are afraid of the disciples stealing Jesus' body, and now the disciples think that the Jews have stolen his body. Like, no one gets what Jesus meant when he said it is finished on the cross. No one understands yet that he was going to rise again, even though he told them over and over that's what was going to happen. So we go down to verse 3 and 4. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And so here we have this nice little humble brag from John, right? He, he, had, he included in here, oh, by the way, I outran Peter to the tomb. I'm just a little faster than good old Peter. You know, that's why they call him the rock, because he's slow. You know? But anyway, so he outruns uh, Peter, and he comes to the tomb. Then look at verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there in the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And so they come to the place where Jesus, the one who claimed to be God uh, uh, and was killed, is buried. And what do they find? They find an empty uh, grave. And not only do they find an empty grave, they find uh, the, the empty clothes of Jesus, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, who robs a grave and then folds the laundry? Well, we know that Jesus... His body wasn't taken, that he rose again. Which right here is proof that Jesus truly is the perfect man, right? I mean, he folded his own laundry. That's impressive, isn't it? And no one had to come by behind him and fix it. And so, but anyway, so uh, I don't know if he actually folded his own laundry. I added that in. But anyway, I, I just imagine, you know, how nice it would be to be able to fold laundry and no one critique it. But that's time for something for... Anyway, verse 8. Let's leave verse 8. Move on. My wife's not even in here for me to get in trouble. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So here they're looking at evidence that Jesus, said he, uh, that Jesus did what he said he would do. Rise from the dead. But these two guys who had been with Jesus for three years are still struggling to understand exactly what all that means. You, you notice that they just go on home. Like John looks in and then Peter goes in and then John goes on in and it says that he believed, but we, we don't know exactly how much because it says they just go home. They just go on back to their house. They're still struggling. They're still hurting. They're still confused. As I, as I read that, I, I was reminded of the fact that this gives me hope. Like these guys who walked with Jesus for three and a half years still didn't quite understand everything Jesus meant uh, when he talked. Like if you're here this morning, you're like, I, I don't always get the Bible. I don't always understand it. You're in good company. 
In fact, I would say, neither do I. Like, there's all kinds of stuff I'm still working through. I, I think I know less now than when I started studying. It's the more you learn of God, the more we understand that there's so many things we can't understand. And so these guys, they go home. They, they go back to where they came from. Uh, and so after they do this, or in the process of this, Mary is outside the tomb. She sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Jesus finally makes her understand who he is. And then, then he says, go testify to my brothers. Go tell them that I'm alive. So we're going to skip down to verse 19. And as we skip down to verse 19, we see Jesus appearing to the disciples. Look at verse 19 with me. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And so on the first resurrection Sunday, the people who had followed Jesus as his disciples are afraid and are hiding out behind locked doors. They're afraid that they're going to be killed like Jesus was killed, which is a pretty good assumption, right? I mean, if they killed the master, they're coming for them next. But Jesus appears in front of them and says, Peace be with you. Isn't that just like Jesus? Just when we are fearful for our lives, we're afraid everything's going to come crashing in, he shows up and says, Be at peace. You see, he had told them that they were going to have struggles, that they were going to have trials in this world, but that they could take heart, that they could have courage because he had overcome the world. So we come to verse 20 and we see the proof that he'd overcome the world. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Look at what happens here. Everything changes for these disciples. Jesus shows them the wounds, the proof of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The fact that he had died and now he's risen again. That's why we see this in verse 20 here where it says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When they really begin to understand what Jesus meant by it is finished. When they finally begin to understand that Jesus wasn't finished with uh, living, that he was going to be risen again, they begin to understand that he is alive, that he was dead and now he's alive and they have proof of it. These disciples are eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. This changes everything for them. You see, they begin to understand what he meant. They begin to understand that Jesus wasn't finished with them. He had finished his work for them. He had paid what he needed to pay on their behalf. He completed what he came to do. And so that now they can have peace because indeed it is finished. You see, Jesus just dying on the cross, that's not anything new, guys. Plenty of Jewish people, plenty of all kinds of people were killed on crosses. The Romans were known to put 10,000 people on a cross at a time just to display their power. What these witnesses tell us and what they're impressed with is, uh, is the fact that Jesus actually rose from the grave. The New Testament writers, what they place an emphasis on all throughout the New Testament is the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus is not dead, but that he's alive. He didn't just spiritually rise from the dead. This isn't some sort of you know, metaphor of some spiritual event. No, this is actual truth. They, they weren't confused about seeing a vision. They clearly saw the tomb was empty and that he was standing among them, his physical, literal body. Guys, our faith is rooted in this event. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and rose from the grave three days later. These are the men and women who go and preach to the world that Jesus is alive. This is it. Like, there's nothing else other than this. And, but, but you may be here this morning. I understand that. This is a lot to take in. This is a lot to, to understand. It's a lot to, to swallow. And you may, you may have doubts. You may be 
here and you may be saying, you know what, I, I don't know. I still have some doubts. I don't, I don't quite think I believe all this. Well, guess what? You're not alone. Not all the disciples were there when Jesus appeared to them the first time. If you would skip down with me to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when the Jesus came. And so in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the, into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so here we have doubting Thomas. He says, Unless I see him and touch his wounds myself, I'll never believe. He's basically saying, you guys are a bunch of liars. These guys that he had known for the better part of three years or over three years and maybe even longer than that as they have walked with Jesus. He says, no, you guys are wrong or you're crazy or you're just trying to you know, prank me, whatever, but I don't believe you. And so, he says, I, I don't believe it. The, the thing about Thomas, though, before, before we move on, you know what I like about Thomas? He's honest. He's not pretending to believe something he doesn't. He's being honest with himself and with the disciples about where he stands. We can learn a lot about Tom, from Thomas from, about the fact that he's honest about his doubts. But at the same time, we have to remember what all Thomas has seen. I mean, he has watched Jesus feed 5,000 people with a handful of bread and fish. He has watched Jesus walk on water. He has seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Here's the problem, though. It's one thing to raise someone else from the dead. It's one thing to walk on water. It's one thing to cast out demons. It's one thing to feed a bunch of people with some, some bread and fish. But for Jesus to, to predict his death, burial, and resurrection, well, in order for him to do that, he would actually have to be God. You see, and I think this is the rub for Thomas. See, Thomas knew that Jesus died on the cross. Thomas knew that Jesus was a great teacher, the greatest teacher he'd ever heard. Thomas knows that, that Jesus is pow a powerful man, more powerful than anyone he'd ever seen, but he was still falling short of one thing. He wasn't convinced of who Jesus truly is. Thomas didn't understand what Jesus said when he said, it is finished, because Thomas was still thinking of Jesus as another man and not God. He, he didn't understand those words were spoken by the creator of the universe. So Jesus is going to have to correct Thomas's theology. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And so Thomas is still gathering with the disciples. He's still gathering with the believers, even though he's not sure he believes. Guys, that's what we hope for every week, is that we would have those who don't believe to come with those who do believe so that they could come to, to faith. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, you've never believed, we are glad that you're here. We want you to hear about Christ and, and hear who He is and believe on Him. And so, let me finish verse 26 here. It says, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then He said to Thomas here in verse 27, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, if you're Jesus and you've been crucified, and you've been buried, and you've risen again, and one of your disciples says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself, you, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Jesus, I may be a little meaner than that. But Jesus is not mean at all. He is, he, is, he is gracious. He is kind to Thomas. 
He just simply wants Thomas to believe. He doesn't call him a dummy. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, Thomas, I want you to believe. I want you to see the wounds. If you need to touch the wounds, here you go. And so Jesus doesn't blast him. He doesn't blast the disciples for not understanding everything all at once. He doesn't blast Thomas for having doubts. In fact, I would say this morning, Jesus, it's safe for you to bring your doubts too. Don't hide your doubts from him. Take them to him. Talk to him about them. Let him answer them for you. And so if you're, if you're struggling in your faith this morning, you're in good company. If you're struggling with doubts this morning, you're in good company. Everyone who walks with, with God, everyone who follows Jesus is going to struggle at times. But the only way we ever get past them is when we're honest about them, when we humbly bring them before God and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I believe, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus shows up and he says, put your, hands, put your finger here, put your hand there. And so look at how Thomas responds in verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. All his big talk before is all gone. You know, we, we think that we're going to say this or say that when we stand in front of God. The truth is, we're just going to be happy to, to stand in front of him. Thomas simply says, My Lord and my God. He gets it. Yes, it would take God himself to raise Jesus from the dead, and that's exactly who Thomas finally realizes Jesus is. Jesus is not just Thomas's teacher. He is Thomas's God. The God of the universe that has made all things and keeps all things together by the power of his word. And when Thomas understands that Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead, he realizes who Jesus really is. Thomas says, you really are God. You guys, to believe in the resurrection is to understand that Jesus is God. To deny the resurrection is to say that Jesus is not God. Jesus raising from the dead proves that everything he said and did is true. It shows us that Jesus is much more than a good teacher. Jesus is much more than a man who died on a cross. Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh. <clears throat> Thomas's confession, for those of you who've been with us through the study of John's gospel, we see his gospel finally come full circle. It takes us back to the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Remember, we said that this is Jesus. He's always been, and he's, He always will. He made all things. It takes us very, back to the very beginning of John's Gospel, which takes us all the way back to creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It all starts with God. Guys, if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then believing that Jesus rose from the dead is a natural next step. How can you doubt anything else? This is John's I told you so moment. He is saying, I've been telling you Jesus is God. Here, let me show you. He actually is God. And so, as the entire world was created through Jesus, the world is now being recreated through Jesus' resurrection. The one who created is recreating he's recreating the world through the fact that he rose again recreating us and this changes everything for thomas thomas finally gets what jesus means when he says it is finished he he, he understands that jesus is the son of god and that he's paying for his sins thomas goes from from doubting to confident in his faith in christ he no longer sees jesus as simply a teacher but he now understands him to be god but what about us look at verse 29 why does this matter to us? Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is telling Thomas and he is telling you, you have a choice. You can either stay stubborn, 
and walk out of here not believing in Christ and the fact that he rose from the dead. Or you can choose to believe and receive the blessing of knowing Jesus for all eternity as he changes you from the inside out. Look at verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We ought to have that verse memorized by now, right? John, John has turned. It's almost as if John, in writing this gospel, has turned and looked at us, his audience, and says, Guys, I want you to know something. I wrote all this down so that you would believe in Jesus so that you believe that He is really the Son of God, that you believe that He really died for your sins, and that by believing you would have life in His name. What he's saying is, you don't have to simply have blind faith. You have eyewitness accounts. The last several months as we've walked through John's Gospel, you know what we've been reading? We've been reading an eyewitness account of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. The resurrection of Jesus isn't some theory or idea that the disciples cooked up to deal with their pain, guys. No, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave changed everything for them. These are historically verifiable facts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was seen by over 500 people at the same time after he rose again. Not only that, we have Thomas. He's a real person with real doubts. And we see his testimony here, my Lord and my God. We have John the Apostle, a real person who apparently was faster than Peter to write down for us all that he saw so that we could see through his eyes. Well, not all that he saw just what we need to see in order to believe. And so I want to call you this morning to believe, to trust on Jesus. Guys, the resurrection changes everything for those who believe. Jesus' resurrection brings life in the place of death. It brings hope in the place of despair. It brings peace in the place of fear. It brings confidence in the place of doubt. The resurrection can change everything for you if you believe. Maybe you're like the disciples this morning. Maybe you think you're finished. Maybe you messed up this week, this year, this decade. And you think, oh, he's done with me. He can never forgive me. Yeah, he can. You're telling me your, your sin is more powerful than the God who created the universe? He can absolutely forgive you. Maybe you've been going through some of the worst days of your life and you just want to quit and walk away. You think, man, God is done with me. I'll never be good enough. It's not true. When he said it is finished, he, meant he paid for all your sins, not just part of them. Not just the small ones, not just the big ones, all of them. He, is, he isn't finished with you guys. He's just getting started. Look at verse 31 again. I want you to, to look at this as he, John writes this down at the very end of verse 31. And that by believing you may have life in his name. This life that John talks about here in verse 31, that can be yours this morning. He has mentioned this life that Jesus offers over and over through this gospel. See, Jesus offers life that is new. When we, when we think about what G John has been talking about, about what Jesus offers, it takes us back to John 3, where he met with a man named Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can be born again if you believe. What did he mean? He meant that you could have a new life, a fresh start. Maybe you need a fresh start this morning. Maybe you need a new life. Paul says that all those who have trusted on Jesus have been raised to walk with him in a new life. Don't you want a new life this morning? Are you ready for a change? For things to finally be new? For things to finally be different? Jesus died. He, he stood in your place and He took your sins. And He rose again. He said, it is finished so that you can have a new life. 
so that you can have freedom to live uh, for Him. Also in John 10, 10, He tells us that He came that we would have abundant life. Guys, Jesus wants us to have a full life, a satisfying life. The only life in this world that will not disappoint, the only life in this world, world that will ever truly satisfy, it's the life that Jesus offers as we trust on Him and believe on Him. Aren't you tired of chasing the next thing? The next thing, the next thing, hoping that that will finally fill that hole in you? Are you tired of looking for something else to make you happy? Jesus says that He can satisfy you. I mean, if all of that other stuff was going to work, wouldn't it have worked by now? Like if the last dollar didn't work, do you really think the next one will to finally fill that hole? If the last person didn't work, do you really think the next person will? We could go down the line. The truth is the only place of satisfaction is in Christ. Jesus came to make you finally and fully whole. He also prays that we'd have eternal life, life with Him of eternal value that lasts forever. Guys, that's the offer on the table this morning. Believe on Jesus and receive a life that is new, abundant, and forever. Will you receive it? As we celebrate Easter this morning and we, we talk about the bodily resurrection of Christ and we celebrate the fact that it's finished, we're reminded of the fact that his work, He finished His work for us but He's not done with us. You may be here this morning. You, you being here this morning is proof of the fact He's not done with you. He, he, he brought you here this morning. You may think that, you, you know, your mom or your dad or your grandma or whoever made you come this morning, you may think that they brought you here. No, Jesus wanted you to be here so that you could have a new, abundant, and eternal life this morning. Simply believe on Him, trust on Him. Stop doubting and believe. Choose to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. Choose to believe that He actually did die for you, that He actually offers you salvation this morning. Trust on Him and, and receive your new life. Receive the life that He offers you. Don't, don't walk out of here today believing the lie that, that your past circumstances or your current circumstances have to be your future reality. He's offering you a new hope, a new life. Trust on Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank you for the fact that we do serve a risen Savior. God, that we do serve a Savior who is alive and well and offers us hope this morning. God, I pray for those here this morning who don't know you. I pray that you'd bring them to know you. God, I pray for those here of our number, God, that, that maybe have trusted on you and believed on you, but God, they're struggling. I pray that you would remind them of the gospel this morning, that you would remind them of the truth, that you have set them free, that you've given them new life and abundant life in Christ. And God, that they would be able to follow after you each and every day. Lord, we love you. We want to serve you and worship you. Please bless our time of commitment now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand with us and as